I hope you've had fun today. Uh, I've had a blast so far, and I'm, I'm just really excited to get into the message today. And I want to continue on talking about the life of Jacob. We started discussing him last week, and today we're going to really look at his entire family in this message entitled The Blessing. Now, there's a show that I love watching that has really become a family favorite of ours. It's Knox's favorite show, and it's, it's a sitcom that's on called The Goldbergs. Has anybody ever watched The Goldbergs? Yeah, the Goldbergs. I love the Goldbergs. It's about a family in the 80s, and it's really funny. And my favorite character in that show, without a doubt, is Murray Goldberg. And I think the reason why I love Murray Goldberg is because he reminds me so much of my father. In the opening scene, Murray comes home from a long day at the office. He walks through the front door. He unbuttons his pants. He dismounts his pants onto the floor. He's in his waddy toddies, and he goes and he sits in a recliner and watches the evening news. And I kid you not, my dad did that every single day when I was growing up. He would come home, get in his whitey toddies, and sit there and watch the news. And so I don't know if it was just something about fathers in the 80s or if this is something that everybody does and I was unaware of it. I don't do it now, but my dad did. And I love watching this because it brings me back to my childhood memories of my father. Now, Murray's character in the show is really interesting to me because he is a good father who's having to learn how to relate to his kids. And if you watch this show, the first impression that you might get of Murray is that he's not a very good father actually at all. He just walks around the house calling his children morons because they forgot to turn down the thermostat or they forgot to shut off the lights. And so every scene, it looks like Murray is walking up to his children saying, stop being a moron. Don't do that. Why are you doing that? Stop being a moron. That is the line that he says over and over and over again in the show. And it looks like he struggles to relate to them. But the interesting thing about the Goldbergs is that at the end of every single episode, Murray has learned something about being a father. He has learned how to grow in his capacity as a father. He's learned how to encourage his kids and how to relate to his kids on a new level. Now, as the show has gone on, what you've learned about Murray is that Murray never had a dad. And so now he's working and learning how to be a good father. He never had a father bless him. And so now he's having to learn the process of being a blessing to his own children. And you can see this character development play in Murray Goldberg. He, he's trying to figure out how do I encourage my children when I have never seen that pattern play out in my own life. And as you can imagine, it's a slow progress in Murray's life, but he's making headway on being a better father. And at the end of every episode, like I said, he has this connection with his kids. And I think it's a beautiful illustration of how all of us can work as fathers on becoming better fathers. And I imagine that if we went around the room, a lot of us can identify with Murray. A lot of fathers, a lot of husbands are hardworking men. They are good men who provide for their family. They, they, they love and they care for their families very deeply. And a lot of fathers desire to train up their children in the way of the Lord. How However, when it comes to being the spiritual leader in the home, when it comes to being a spiritual blessing in the home, there is a disconnect for a lot of us men and a lot of Christian men struggle on how to be a blessing to their children because they never had a spiritual father in their own life. 
They never had a man come up and lay his hands upon them. They never knew what it was like to have a father pray with them at night before they went to bed. They never knew what it was like to have a man look at them and to call out things from their life and encouraging them in the Lord. They never had a a father read the word to them in the home. They never had a dad tell them what God had planned for their life. And so now here they are as fathers, and because they've never seen that modeled in their own life, they're now struggling to how to pour these things into their own children. It's a desire of their heart, but they've never seen it modeled. Now, one of the interesting prophecies regarding Jesus and his coming to earth was that there was going to be a messenger that prepared the way for Jesus. This prophecy pointed to John the Baptist. And it says that John was going to be a herald, someone who was going to prepare the way of the Lord to that generation. And one of the key identifying indicators, one of the key messages that this prophet was going to preach was that they were going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Now, what this tells me is that one of the fundamental changes in a man's heart and in a man's life when he becomes a Christian is that he is going to be a blessing to his children. And here's the thing that we all know and we all understand very deeply is that children need to feel the hand of their father saying a prayer over their life. Children need to hear the word of the Lord spoken into their life, and children need to witness the hand of God on their father's life so that they can trust in their heavenly father. The question that I've wrestled with that I imagine a lot of you have wrestled with is this, how do I do that? How do I be a spiritual blessing to my children? Spiritual leadership in the home is a buzzword in our generation. If you pay attention to Christian media, it's always encouraging. Men, you need to be the spiritual leaders of your home. But the problem is that no one ever tells us how to do that. And now we have a generation of men who who grew up, and perhaps you're a first-generation believer. You didn't have a spiritual father. You didn't have a spiritual grandfather. And now here you are. You're working nine to five. You're putting food on the table. You're loving your family. You're at the, the ball games. You're doing all these right things, and you hear, I need to be a spiritual leader in my home, and that's a deep desire in your heart, but you don't know how to live that out. What's amazing is if you look at church statistics, you see it all the time. You see this, this, the, the statistics that say that America is turning away from Christianity. Less than half of the population now identifies as a Christian. What's interesting about that stat, though, is if you really dig into it, you'll figure out what is happening is nominal Christians are no longer identifying as Christians, meaning people who have never been to church and they've never actually given their life to Christ and they're not following Jesus. They might say that they were Christians because that was the right thing to do. Now they no longer do that. On the other side, what you have is you have the people who do say that they're Christians. You have people who are deeply committed in their faith. And when you start digging into that, what you see is that there's a lot of first-generation believers. And what that means is, is you got saved in a time of life where you didn't inherit this faith from your family. Rather, you found it on your own. And that's a wonderful thing because those type of people tend to be very dedicated and very committed in their faith to the Lord. But the problem is is that we've never had an example then of how we pass our faith on to our children. 
Here's what we need to see today. Here's what I want you to understand is that children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, as we're looking at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as we look at this entire family, there's a lot of things that this family had done wrong throughout their life. If you read through the book of Genesis and you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you see that there's a lot of sin that came from their life. There's a lot of things that they they did wrong. There was a lot of dysfunction. However, there was one thing that this family had right. This family knew how to bless their children. They recognized that children were at heritage from the Lord, and additionally, they knew that the children that they were having were part of God's redemption plan for humanity, and as a result, they passed the blessing from one generation to next. And here's the big idea of this message. As fathers, God intends for us to be a blessing for a thousand generations in our life. God intends for you, fathers, to be a blessing to your children. And so I want to talk to you for just a few moments about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we're going to glean from them how we pass a spiritual blessing on to our children. We're going to look at their example, we're going to look at what they did right, and we're going to learn how we pass our, what God has placed in our life on to our children and our grandchildren, and hopefully the children after them. The first thing is this. A father can only be a blessing to his children when the father understands that he himself is blessed. A father can only be a blessing to his children when he understands that he himself is blessed. Jacob's family starts out with the patriarch, Abraham, and Abraham teaches us something about the blessing of our children. If you're going to be a blessing to your children, then you need to understand that you're a blessed. In Genesis chapter number 12, starting in verse number 1, I want to read to you three verses here what it says. It says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you, and he, him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, when we pick up our sermon today, we're picking up with Abraham. At this time, his name hasn't been changed. The Lord, his name is Abram. Later on, the Lord is going to change his name to Abraham. And when we start looking at him, he's kind of an interesting guy. He's a man who, who, who has faith in the Lord. He's, he's different from everyone else in his generation. And what we just read was the first time that the Lord spoke to him and gave him this blessing. And the first thing that we see about Abraham's life is that God is calling him to be a blessing to everyone on earth. And you need to know from the beginning that when we say blessing in Abraham's life, it's ultimately tied back to the redemption story. If you're not familiar with Abraham, from this family is going to come the Hebrew people. And from the Hebrew people, Jesus is going to be born. And so when God is telling Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to everyone, what he is telling him and pointing to and prophesying over his life is that Abraham is going to be a man where the Messiah comes and he is the reason why you and I are here today. It's ultimately pointing to Jesus. And this should show us something from the very beginning. The blessing that we're talking about in your life and my life that God wants us to pass down to our children children is more than a financial blessing, it's more than an inheritance, it's more than provision, it's more than fulfillment. It is, a, it is a partnership with the Lord that God wants to bring the things that he's planted in your life, and he wants to instill it into your children. In short, men, you
you are here for a reason, and God has planted you in this season, in this age. He has called you by name. He has enlightened your heart with the gospel, and he has called you for all these things to be a blessing to your family. The result of this partnership with Christ is that his kingdom is advanced, and that his kingdom is moving through your children. So God speaks to Abraham and says, I want you to leave everything behind because I have a plan of redemption that's going to come from your body. I'm going to make you a great nation, and all the nations are going to be blessed because of you. Catch this, man. If a father is going to be a blessing, then you need to understand that you're blessed yourself. If you're going to bless your kids, then you need to be able to look in the mirror, look yourself in the eyes, and know deep down in the core of who you are that God has blessed you. Notice how uh, that, that God wanted to give Abraham the land, and God also wanted to give Abraham a son. God wanted to give these as a gifting to Abraham. And the, that, brings, that brings a blessing. It was both the stuff and also the children. And fathers, you are blessed. Let me tell you first, you're blessed because God has brought some resources into your life. James, the, in, the, in the book of James, it says that God has brought every good and pleasing thing into our life. So if you have anything good, anything pleasing in your life, God has brought it to you. God has provided it for you. So when you start looking at all the good things in your life, there's a lot of things that there should be some joy about. You have a good job, and you have skills, and you have wisdom, and you have knowledge, and most importantly, you have His Spirit inside of you, and He's given you spiritual gifts. And just as God wanted to bring those things into Abraham's life so that he can be a blessing, God has brought those things into your life so that you can be a blessing to your children. But furthermore, God has also blessed you with children. The psalmist said that children are a heritage from the Lord, and that the children are brought to our life are gifts from God, and he's given those children to you because he trusts you. I want you to think about that for a moment. God trusts you so much that he put a little image of himself into your care. The Bible says that we are created in the image of God. And you might look around and say, there might be other people who are more qualified to raise my kids, and I would argue with you, no, sir, they're not. God has placed his children, his image bearers, in your care. And he's given you everything you need to be a blessing to them. Think about the reward of children. Children are reward because... As I just said, that life reflects his image care. Children reward to their father because God has placed that life in the father's home with a God-ordained purpose. And the father gets to witness that flourish in the life of that child. Children are a reward to the father because God has placed an opportunity, a life for the father to understand the love of the heavenly father. If you're a father, you understand God's love for you deeper after you have children. Why? Because you understand the care and the concern that you have for your children is the same care and concern that God has for you. As fathers, we get to teach our kids a thousand sermons from the pattern of our life. Fathers, you are blessed. Just as Abraham was called to be blessed by God, so you too are blessed by God. And the reason why this is important to grasp and to believe is because you can only bless your kids when you know you're blessed. You'll notice that's the third or fourth time I've said that to you. Why? Because I want you to believe in the core of who you are by the end of this message that God has blessed you. 
In the world of comparison, where we look at ourselves next to other men and we see that we're not achieving what they're achieving, I want you to know that you are blessed because you're a child of God. You cannot give something you, can, you do not have. You cannot, not, you cannot impart knowledge that you have not learned. And you cannot give a blessing if you don't know that you're blessed. If you want your kids to be blessed, if you want your kids to have knowledge, if you want your kids to experience God, if you want your kids to succeed in life, then you, sir, have to understand that you are setting the tone for that in their own life. At this point, it would be important to stop and to realize what the blessing is. When we say that fathers should know that they are blessed and speak blessing over their children, what does that mean? Does that mean we just start speaking things in their life and that it's going to happen? Do we prophesy over them? Does that mean that, well, I mean, what does it mean to understand that there is a blessing that we're to give? The blessing is not calling something to existence in their life. You know, I've, I've wondered about that a lot. Can I look at Knox and know what he's going to do in his life? No, no, I can't. Maybe God can give me an idea, but I can't see it. God hasn't given me a picture of the future for his life. I've dreamed about it, but I don't know what it is. So if I call something out, I'm just making something up. It's not speaking good fortune over your children. It's not wishful thinking. The blessing is calling something to the surface that's already there. This is so important to understand. God spoke to Abraham and he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. And in you, all nations will be blessed. The blessing was already inside of Abraham. The scripture tells us that, that God before the foundations of the world has set the redemption plan in process. Other scripture says that Christ was slain before the foundations of the world. So when God looked at Abraham, he saw the blessing inside of him. He saw the seed inside of him that was going to be passed from generation to generation to generation and ultimately end with Christ that you and I worship, that you and I have hope in. God wasn't making something up in this moment. He wasn't wishfully thinking over Abraham. He was calling to the surface the blessing that he had already placed inside of Abraham's life. And he was wanting Abraham to realize it and to see it in his own life and to be aware of it. In fact, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16, the English translation says that God will give Sarah a child. But if you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word actually says, has given her a child. So before Sarah even conceived a child in her womb, God has said that child is already there and I'm about to bring it forth. If you know anything about biology, the seed was already there and God had ordained that seed to give birth to Isaac. The reason why this is so important for us to understand is because when scripture says you're blessed, you're blessed. You might not see it, you might not realize it, you might not understand it, but make no mistake about it, it's within you. The scripture says that in Christ, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And men, we have a responsibility to walk as blessed men. When we're moping or we're down on ourselves, when we compare ourselves to other people, or we don't believe we have anything to offer our children, we are robbing them of the blessing that God wants to give them. Because Abraham was blessed, he then had a responsibility to pass that on. There's a handoff that's required in the blessing of our kids. 
Since you're blessed in the spiritual realm, you have the responsibility to hand that off to your children. We're going to see here in just a moment, every father blessed his children. Abraham blessed Isaac, Isaac blessed Jacob, and Jacob blessed his son. The question is, how do you hand off what God has placed in your life into them? You do that by planting the word in them, by laying a hand of prayer on them, by letting them see God's hand in your life. There is no one more qualified to do those things than you in their life. In Genesis chapter 17, Abraham has responsibility to pass this blessing off. And you can read about it when you get home. But Abraham uh, basically told Isaac, he said, look, he said, uh, you're, you're going to need to go find a son. And uh, excuse me, you're going to need to go find a wife and you're going to need to go to your people. And he blessed Isaac and he sent him off. We have to be a blessing, but we can only do that when we know that we are blessed. Second, fathers bless their children by living a life of obedience. God is faithful to Isaac, or excuse me, to Abraham, and he delivers the promised son Isaac from his life. And I wonder what Abraham thought the first time that he held Isaac. I don't know about you as a father, but I remember the first time I held Knox in the delivery room. There was no one else in there except for a few nurses and charity, and he had just been born. They had cleaned him off, and they put him in my arms. And it's, it's a life-changing moment, isn't it? I had a lot of my buddies bring me aside and say, now look, this is about to be the most life-changing experience you've ever had when you hold your son. And frankly, I did not believe them. Why? Because I wasn't a father. I hadn't been there before. But when I held Knox the first time, it changed my life in that moment because you're holding a little piece of yourself in your arms. There's something crazy about kids. Like they all have big heads. Like I'm sitting there holding him like, oh, this is awesome. And I realize because he sits like this, I, that's how he slept. He slept like this. Now see, look, I, I probably talked to you about this before. This is interesting to me. If I stick my hand on the back of my head like this, see, my head is smaller than my arm to my elbow. But when Knox would do that, his elbow was like halfway across his head. I was like, man, he's like, their, their heads are a lot bigger than their bodies. You know, I mean, it's, it's crazy. That's exciting. And then you bring them home and you have all the things that go with bringing a baby home. I remember the first time I changed his diaper. Babies do something really interesting when they get scared. They go, ah, you know, and that's what he did. Put him on the changing table. He got cold. He's like, ah, you know, he starts yelling. Those fond memories, the little details. I remember he was, right, he was about to be born, and we were looking at this house. We were looking at buying this house, and the realtor saw Charity was obviously pregnant, and uh, she was pregnant enough at that point that you can ask, you know what I mean? Have you ever been there before? Like, hey, are you expecting a child? No. Oh, okay. That's just me. Okay, I've done that before. That's terrible. And so anyway, she was like very big pregnant, you know, so it was obvious, you know, either that or she had a big tumor, one of the two. And so anyways, they said, hey, you're about to have a baby? She said, yeah, I'm about to have a baby. And he said, you know, the coolest thing about having a baby is getting to hold them, but I promise you, you won't remember that. What you'll remember is the last time that you hold your child because they'll grow up and they don't want you to hold them anymore. So he said, make sure you cherish every moment. I was like, geez, I just want to buy a house, you know? Pressing. I imagine for Abraham, when Isaac was born, he experienced a lot of the same emotions that we feel when we hold our children. I'm sure that Abraham was beaming with pride every time he passed one of his buddies. Hey, Bartholomew, look at this. He pulled out his wallet, you know, and there's the pictures. 
We don't do that anymore. Abraham pulled out his cell phone, you know. He's taking a selfie in the bathroom with Isaac. Well, one day God speaks to Abraham and he tells him to do something extremely odd. God says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your one and only son, the son that you love, as an offering to me. And Abraham obeys. And the next morning, he loads up a donkey with firewood for the altar and the offering, and he tells his son Isaac to come with him and that they're going to go make a sacrifice. Now, we need to understand that God never intended for Abraham to actually follow through with this. This was a test. We know this from the scripture, and it's an illustration the test for Abraham to see who he loves the most, but it's also an illustration for us because the mountain that Abraham and Isaac are going to is the place where Jesus is ultimately going to sacrifice his life for his, our sins. So Abraham and Isaac set out on a journey towards this mountain that God had ordained. And as they go, Isaac asks the obvious question, Father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, the Lord himself will provide a lamb. And as they go to the mountain, they build an altar and they bind Isaac. Abraham lifts up the knife. He's about to slaughter his only son. And God stops him from heaven. And here's what the Bible says in Genesis 22, verse 13 through 18. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. As it has been said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your one and your only son, you will surely, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in the heaven and as the sand on its seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of its enemies, and your offspring shall shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, what's really interesting about this passage is that Abraham blessed his son Isaac because he was obedient to the Lord. You have to understand something. Abraham's about 113 years old at this point, and Isaac's about 13 years old. If brother Loki and Dre, his grandson, got into a foot race, who do you think is going to win? Dre's going to win. I love Brother Loki, but he's shaking his head. Dre's going to win. Why? Because he's younger and faster. And so Isaac's submitting himself to this process of allowing himself to be offered as a sacrifice. So what we see here in this moment is that Abraham is teaching his son the pattern of honoring God and the pattern of obedience. And as a result of Abraham's obedience, Isaac is able to experience the presence of God, the voice of God, and the provision of God. Isaac's there when he sees the lamb. Isaac's there when Abraham hears the voice of God. And check this out. Isaac was there when Abraham sees a, a picture of the future. Verse 14 is vital. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is said, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Scholars believe that in this moment, Abraham and Isaac saw a vision of Christ on the cross because in John chapter 8, Jesus said that Abraham saw Jesus' day and rejoiced. And so if you put these together, it would make sense that when he says on this mountain is going to be provided, the very mountain that Jesus sacrificed his life at, at the hand of his father, 
that they saw a, a picture of Jesus on the cross. And here's the point. Abraham's obedience to the Lord, Isaac was able to see the provision. Isaac was able to see the redemption process, and Isaac saw God bless his own life. Fathers, the greatest blessing that you can give to your children is a life of devotion and obedience to the Lord. When we're obedient and faithful to God, our children see how to model and honor the Lord. When we're obedient to the Lord, our kids get to participate in the blessing that God pours out on your life. When you're obedient to the Lord, your kids get an idea of how the Lord will be faithful to them. Don't just bring your kids to church. Don't just tell them to live for Jesus. Model it before them. Show them what it looks like. It'll be the best gift and blessings you can pour out in their life. So fathers can only be a blessing to their children when he knows he's blessed. Fathers bless their children when they live a life of obedience. And the third thing I want you to see is this. A father blesses his children when he speaks words of encouragement to him. Abraham had Isaac, and then he blesses Isaac. Isaac grows up and he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and God had ordained that the blessing would go to the younger one, to Jacob, and at the end of Isaac's life, even though it's through deceit, Jacob still receives the blessing from Isaac. Genesis 27, verse 27 through 29 says this, so he, speaking of Jacob, came near and kissed him, speaking of Isaac. So Jacob came near and kissed Isaac, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as of the field, of the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Even though it was with questionable circumstances surrounding this event, the Lord had ordained that Jacob was to be the one who was to receive the blessing. And now here we have Abraham, or excuse me, Isaac pouring out a beautiful blessing upon his son and a word of encouragement to his life. We bless our kids when we speak words of encouragement over their life. It's amazing the power of the word that a father has over his children. We see this sometimes in the worst examples. I love when American Idol first came out. You'd have people up there singing before the judges, and they were terrible. I mean, just like screeching cats. I mean, a screeching cat would sound better. These people could not sing to save their life. Simon would then proceed to mock and ridicule them, just like Jake's going to do the, to the contestants here in just a little while when you guys work okay, <laughs> and compete. He then mocks and ridicules the contestant, and then inevitably somebody asks the contestant, who told you that you could sing? Because you can't sing. So who lied to you? And inevitably, what would they say? My parents told me I could sing. Now, real serious for a second. Think about the power of that. Their parents called something in their life that wasn't there. What if their parents had looked for what they were really gifted at and said, hey, you're gifted here. Sometimes we want to live vicariously through our kids, so we call forth the things in their life that we wish were in our life. Fathers, we need to believe in our kids. The younger they are, the more likely they are to grab a hold of our words and apply them to our life. But here's the cool thing. As Christian parents, we don't have to lie to our kids. You can speak encouragement 
You can speak blessing over your kids because you know it's true. The word says so many amazing things about your kids. So speak it over their life. Don't squander the opportunity to encourage them. Children need no greater champion in their life than their father. No one will see your children's strengths more than you. No one will believe in your kids more than you. And no one's going to recognize their gifts faster than you are. So you don't have to make some stuff up. You don't have to lie about your kids. You don't have to superimpose your ideals upon your children. All you have to do is say, God, what gifts, what skills, what calling have you placed in my child's life that I can give a voice to and that I can champion for their benefit and for your glory? Your children are here for a purpose. And we need to champion them. And we need to be like gold miners looking through our kids' lives saying, God, what gold have you placed in their life? Yeah, we're going to have to get some dirt out of there. They're going to need some refining. But what gold have you placed in my child's life that you have called me to pull forth from their life? Fathers can only bless their children when they know that they are blessed. Fathers bless their children when they live a life of obedience. Fathers bless their children when they speak words of encouragement over them. And I want to close with this if the worship team wants to come back. A father blesses his children when he exercises naming rights over them. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And then Jacob ends up having 11 children. He's really blessed. His wife Rachel is pregnant with their 12th son. And here's what the scripture says happens in Genesis chapter number 35. Verse 16 through 18. When they had journeyed from Bethel, and when they came some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you will have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called him Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. When Rachel was in labor... With Jacob's last son, she's in the process of dying, and she gives her son's name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. Now, we need to be careful. We don't want to be overly critical of Rachel in this moment. However, here's the point that we can glean. I want you guys to think about this very carefully. The world is always going to try to label your children, and the label that the world is going to give your children is never going to be God-honoring, nor is it going to speak to the potential that God has for their life. The world is always going to try to superimpose their image, their name upon your children. The world is always going to try to superimpose their ideals upon your children, and those ideals are going to sabotage their purpose. The world is always going to try to superimpose its image, and the image is not going to reflect the son or daughter of a king. The world will try to take your kids and turn them into gestures, into the enemy's entertainment. What the enemy has planned for your children is never going to be any good. But here's the good news. You as a father have naming rights. When Jacob heard that Rachel called his son Benoni, even though he loved her, he said, no, that's not what this child's name is going to be. This child's name is going to be Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. This child is going to be my strength. And I'm not going to allow bitterness to superimpose any ideas over my son. This child is mine. And I'm going to call forth from his life what's there. 
your children are going to be called a lot of names as they grow up. Sometimes kids are mean. They say mean things to each other. But the name that you speak over your children is going to matter more than anyone else. You have naming rights over your children. Father has a right and he has a responsibility to exercise naming rights over his kids. So what name are you going to give to your child? Beloved, you're my promise, you're my blessing, you're my delight, you're my joy, you're called, you're chosen, you're gifted, you're equipped, you're saved, you're loved. Those are the names that our children need to hear come from our mouth. They don't need to hear it come from my mouth. They don't need to hear it come from a Sunday school teacher's mouth or a Royal Ranger teacher's mouth. We thank God for those people, but your kid needs to hear those names come from your mouth as a father. It needs to ring in their ears louder than any other name that they hear. What's really interesting about this conversation of the blessing, like I said, the lineage of Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, was a blessing that was meant for all of us. It's about redemption of humanity. The blessing of Abraham is really rooted in God's blessing on all of us. In the beginning in Genesis 1, God blessed humanity and said, be fruitful and multiply, but we know sin messed it up. And so when God comes to Abraham and says, from your lineage, all the nations of the world will be blessed, what he's pointing to is Jesus. And here's what I want you to see. Matthew 13. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove, and it coming to rest. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. I was thinking this morning, we've talked a lot about how the covenantal name of God in the New Testament is Father. And I was thinking about all the things that God doesn't share with us. He doesn't share His power with us, like that's His. His omnipotence, that's His. His glory is His. His divinity is His. But there is one thing that God shared with us men, and that was His title. He shared His name, Father, Father. And now here we see our Heavenly Father speaking blessing over His Son. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You know what's interesting about that? Jesus hadn't performed one miracle. He hadn't given one sermon. He hadn't done one thing on this earth yet. This is the first, one of the first things we read about Jesus' life. And God says, I'm proud of him. I'm proud of him. Now catch this, through Christ, he has now poured that blessing from heaven upon you and upon me. When we're in Christ, we're a brother to the beloved. And if Jesus needed to hear a blessing from his father, then your kids need to hear a blessing from you. Don't hold back the blessing. Don't hold back the blessing. I've been really emotional with this message. I, very rarely do I get emotional. Went back and I looked. April 6th is when I wrote this message, pen to paper. <laughs> May 15th, it was a Saturday night. 
around the campfire, I got to witness one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. I was invited by a friend of mine. His son was graduating and he said, look, I've asked some, some of my friends, people that if I was to die, I would trust to watch over my children in my absence. And I'd like you to come be a part of that group. And I want you to speak over my son's life as a rite of passage into manhood. I've got to do a lot of cool things. When I say it was one of the greatest honors of my life, I mean that for a lot of reasons. One, because this family's dear to me. Two, this message is going through my mind and I'm thinking about how every child needs this opportunity. But three, it was a picture of what God does in our own life. So that night we're around a campfire, there's some select men there. Different men are taking turns speaking into this young man's life. Had my opportunity to speak into his life. And then the last thing that happened is his father brought him up and he stuck his hands on both of his shoulders. He looked him dead in the eyes. And he said this prayer over him. Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And as I watched that unfold, while such an honor to get to witness that, I also had this message in the back of my mind. And I realized that so many men never had a spiritual father look them in the face and pray blessing over their life. The reason why this father did this to his son is because he understood the rich blessing that he was in his own life. He understood the rich blessing that Christ was in his life, and he wanted to marry the two together. You'll notice I spent over half this message with the fact that Christ has blessed you. The lion's share of this message was trying to get you men to understand that God has blessed you.